The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and you can go to miningstocks.com to access a recent issue of that letter if you'd like to see what it's all about, uh, miningstocks.com. Uh, and uh, I'm also in partnership, or my company is, I should say, Taylor Hard Money Advisors is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes an excellent newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And if you're interested in subscribing to Chen's letter, you do need, however, to sign up, uh, put your name on a waiting list, and then at the beginning of each calendar quarter, we, uh, we accept new subscribers depending on the number of people who have, uh, who, who have not continued their subscriptions. Uh, we do keep a, a ceiling on the number of subscribers for what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling. But you can go to uh, miningstocks.com for that as well to sign up for Chen's letter or my newsletter. And as I said, you can uh, access a recent copy of my monthly newsletter uh, at miningstocks.com. Uh, uh, I also like to tell you that you can follow everything that I do, including accessing uh, this radio show by going uh, to uh, J. Taylor Media. That's J-A-Y, Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, media.com. And uh, you can, uh, well, as I say, access this show, uh, all uh, my newsletter, Chen's newsletter, and a host of other things that uh, are available there uh, at J. Taylor Media. You can also follow me on Twitter under the handle J. Taylor Media. Uh, we do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And, of course, we do also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Balmoral Resources, uh, Blue Goldwater Technologies, Prophecy Platinum, SGX Resources, and Golden Arrow Resources. Just a word or two about today uh, about the sponsors today. Balmoral Resources is trading up a penny or so at fifty-seven cents, one hundred and ten thousand shares outstanding. We are going to be speaking to the CEO of Balmoral and I believe Dale Ginn of SGX Resources uh, next week. Uh, those uh, SGX is selling uh, up 
two cents to twelve cents today on two hundred thirty eight thousand shares. They did have a nice drill intersection they reported recently with thirty three meters grading two point forty three grams per ton gold. Uh, a very promising prospect up there that SGX Resources and Sand Gold are uh, working on together. Blue Goldwater Technologies selling at twenty six cents. Uh, and Golden Arrows, uh, oh, I should have mentioned also Prophecy Platinum at 64 cents today on 140,000 shares. I actually wrote a, a piece on Prophecy Platinum last week uh, suggesting that people sell Ivan Platts and buy Prophecy Platinum, uh, the better of two Platinum Group metal plays in my view, and I explained why in my newsletter last week. Prophecy Platinum, as I said, trading at 64 cents today on 140,000 shares. And then there's Golden Arrow, the last of our sponsors, at 23.5 cents is down a penny and a half. They do have a very large uh, silver deposit that they are uh, uncovering uh, in Argentina that I think uh, makes this company arguably very, very undervalued at its current price. But there are uh, very little attention on that stock, only 34,700 shares traded the last I saw uh, today. Um, I should mention that um, next week I'm hoping to have Jispert Gunenwagen. He's a hedge fund manager on this show. Jispert has recently written uh, some very comprehensive articles on China and China's uh, purchase of gold. Jispert believes that the Chinese and other factions, uh, probably uh, Russia, Iran, and others, are really gearing up. Uh, for the demise of the dollar and, in fact, uh, are, are buying more and more gold, getting set to, to uh, evolve into a or develop a gold-backed monetary system. And Jispert's view of that is that it will be very, very bullish for gold, and I think it will be very, very bullish for gold shares as well. Of course, we do want to keep our eyes on the real price of gold, which I keep talking about being the most important issue from a gold mining point of view. I mean, it, who cares if gold is $10,000 an ounce, if it costs you $11,000 to get it out of the ground? Uh, that doesn't do you much good if you're a gold mining company. So what I like to do is watch the real price of gold. And we do know that during periods of time when the equity markets, when there's a deflationary or, let's say, when there's a, uh, a contraction of the, uh, of the uh, markets, uh, and especially of the um, debt markets, then you do see the real price of gold rising very dramatically. It's a historical fact, and we saw it most recently after Lehman Brothers, and that's when the gold mining profits of uh, of the of the miners started really rising very dramatically. It's only been after the equity markets and other markets started to rise, the oil, uh, other commodity markets started to rise, that we've seen a decline in the real price of gold. And with that, we've seen a very substantial decline in the profits of the gold mining companies. So I like to watch very closely the, um, uh, the real price of gold. An article that I would like to just call your attention to came, uh, was forwarded to me by, by my friend Laura Stein. Uh, and this has to do with Citigroup. Uh, Citigroup sees gold at $3,500 an ounce and silver jumping to $100 an ounce. Well, this is Citigroup, which is, of course, uh, as mainstream as you can get almost, uh, and they are citing geopolitical issues uh, in uh, the Middle East and elsewhere uh, for reasons. I would add to that, of course, the geopolitical issues that we're talking about, not divorced from uh, the issue of uh, China and Russia and others. In fact, as the United States has tried to uh, to 
isolate Iran. What they have done is, uh, as Mr. Richter pointed out a few weeks ago, uh, the current author of Currency War is that what we've really done, the unintended consequences, was to drive those countries that are friendly away from the United States and towards uh, setting up their own monetary system. And uh, this is something, of course, the Russians and the Chinese have been talking about, uh, taking on a very pro-gold, anti-dollar uh, viewpoint, and uh, it seems to me something that we all need to be very much aware of. So I'm hoping to have Gisbert Gunenwegen on with me next week to talk about the work he's recently done with respect to um, uh, with respect to the gold price and the purchase, the enormous purchases that are going on uh, in the uh, in the gold markets by China uh, and other countries that are not all that friendly towards the United States. Those of you who really enjoy this show might also find listening to Al Corlin's show. Uh, very interesting as well. And you can listen to that show. It's a weekly show that is posted on Saturdays. I am frequently a guest on that show, as I was last week. Uh, you can go to uh, the KE, it's KE Report. Uh, that's KEReport.com. And from there, you can access uh, Al Corlin's uh, shows that he has. And a lot of good information, a lot of interesting discussion there. And we're going to have Al Corlin on with me uh, at about 4.30 New York time today to talk about his show and perhaps some other topics uh, uh, as well. I'd like to uh, request that you continue sending your questions to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. I do enjoy hearing back from you, whether you are uh, in agreement with me or against, uh, have a view that's different from that is, uh, that's discussed in this show. I think that's what makes uh, this show, uh, can make this show even more interesting, is if people uh, have divergent views and those are discussed. Uh, what we are really trying to do on this show is to discover the truth. And uh, I know that it's easier said than done because we all bring with, uh, with ourselves our own biases. But uh, at least that is the goal, and that is my heartfelt goal, is to find what is the truth. And that's why we go outside of the mainstream, because frankly, the mainstream has a job in protecting the status quo. And the status quo doesn't really want to always know the truth. So what we try to do on this show uh, is to look at both uh, at ideas from anywhere that makes sense. So we will talk to people on the left side of the political spectrum as well as the right side of the political spectrum, people that may be shunned by the mainstream in many cases, but it's not, uh, we, we want to avoid calling people names and examining, rather examining what they have to say rather than to try to diss them by, by, uh, by calling them names. Well, let's get into today's show. We, um, we do have uh, some, I think, some very interesting guests coming on today. John Perkins, Ellen Brown, Gene Epstein will be back. He hasn't been with us for a month or so. Uh, Daniel McAdams uh, of the Ron Paul Peace and Prosperity uh, website and Al Corlin, as I mentioned, will be with us towards the end of today's show. You know, blacks, Jews, gypsies, and other minorities may not be the victims of a rising American economic fascist system right now. But the U.S. Constitution is a victim, and that means that all of us uh, are current and or future victims of this rising level of economic fascism in America. Why is our Constitution being discarded in an ends-justified-the-means mentality? Well, uh, John Perkins, as I say, will be with us to talk about how the U.S. is robbing foreign citizens of their human rights. And Ellen Brown will talk to us about how the United States banking system is in the process of stealing from the American people. Ellen will also discuss some reasons why Wall Street's powerful interest 
may have used NSA-like intelligence to bring down Elliot Spitzer as governor of uh, the state of New York and in the process keep the road clear for the dastardly bank bailouts that followed. Well, certainly, uh, Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity will also join me. He will come on uh, with John Perkins, uh, and uh, Daniel may have some interesting insights to interact with John Perkins as well. And as I said, Gene Epstein will be here uh, after our first break, which is scheduled to take place in, in just a, a couple of minutes from now. And then, uh, again, Al Corlin at 4.30. Uh, I would like to just mention a very interesting book. Uh, speaking of Elliot Spitzer, I picked up a copy of uh, Elliot's book called Protecting Capitalism, Case by Case. And uh, Elliot Spitzer, of course, is trying to re-enter politics right now. He's running for controller in the city of New York. And I have been in discussion with Elliot Spitzer's uh, campaign folks uh, after picking up a book, Protecting Capitalism Case by Case, and after reading what Ellen Brown had to say about why he may have been framed, uh, because, in fact, he was standing up to some very illicit, ugly practices by the bankers uh, who were really raping and pillaging the American public with uh, predatory banking uh, practices uh, that led up to the, uh, the problems with the, uh, with the, mor- the mortgage uh, or the housing bubble. And protecting capitalism case by case, I highly recommend a purchase of this book. Uh, Elliot Spitzer in there talks about his experience uh, as a prosecuting attorney uh, and what he did to, uh, to, to bring down the Gambino family, for example, that was using uh, threats of uh, broken kneecaps to keep competition away. Elliot Spitzer uh, is, is espousing free market competition. Now, to the extent that Elliot Spitzer uh, would use government only to make sure the laws are being obeyed, that's one thing. I do not necessarily agree with Elliot Spitzer that we need more and more regulation. I think what we need is what exactly what Elliot Spitzer did in the Gambino family uh, to, to pull them away from monopolizing the trucking business in the garment district or what he did against Marsha McLennan where Marsha McLennan was lying to their customers and taking advantage of their lies. Uh, that sort of thing, I think there's, every, there's a reason to have government. So I'm not a complete anarchist. Uh, anarcho- anarcho-capitalist, as some of my friends like uh, Jeff Berwick and others might be. But what I do believe is that there are certain laws on our books, that basic laws, uh, that to enforce the contract and to make sure that when people uh, make a contract, those contracts are enforced. There's a place for government in that, but that they're enforced legally and not using uh, those kind of dishonest and, and threatening means uh, that are discussed in the book. And I do... Uh, would like to have Elliot Spitzer come on this show if I can get him on sometime in the future. Uh, I'll try. He's a very busy man, ex-governor of the state of New York, brought down uh, by the scandal in which he was involved with a high-priced call girl. We're going to talk to Ellen uh, Brown later today about uh, why she thinks Elliot Spitzer may well have been brought down, why he was exposed. You know, nobody's making excuses for what Elliot Spitzer did. I'm certainly not, and I know Ellen isn't. But when... Uh, information is gained on public information about individual citizens is gained uh, through spying, then that information can be used by a very powerful ruling elite to expose people who cause them trouble, who try to enforce the law. And that's the theory I think that Ellen is going to talk to us about. And this is why, quite frankly, I think the NSA spying on us is all a big deal, why it's very, very important. You can keep politicians in line, people who would try to enforce laws that go against the powerful cartel, the banking cartel, the Federal Reserve, and those who own the Federal Reserve, and who get bailed out 
uh, profits are privatized, uh, losses are socialized, as we saw was the case. Uh, and, of course, that's what Elliot Spitzer was standing up against. So I am uh, uh, a libertarian Republican, I suppose is what you can say. But when, what I read in Elliot Spitzer's book, Protecting Capitalism Case by Case, most of what I've read so far, I'm very much in favor of. Well, we do have to go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking uh, to my good friend Gene Epstein. And Gene uh, is going to have some very interesting things to tell us about a guest that he has coming to the New York City Junto this coming Thursday. Don't go away. We'll be right back uh, with Gene Epstein. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Some things never go out of style. In the gold business for over 100 years, high-grade Canadian gold discoveries have been in vogue amongst investors. Balmoral Resources has continued to deliver high-grade results from a series of new discoveries in Quebec. If you're looking to upgrade your portfolio in the fall with some golden highlights, learn more about Balmoral at balmoralresources.com. Balmoral trades on the OTCQX under the symbol B-A-L-M-F and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol B-A-R. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm really pleased to have with me uh, once again Gene Epstein, who's been absent uh, over the summer months. He's been on vacation, I suppose, and also because the New York City Junto, which he heads up, uh, took a month off as well. So welcome, Gene. Good to have you back. Good to be back. Good to have you. Now, I um, just to remind our listeners that uh, you have a very interesting guest coming up. Uh, this Thursday, this coming Thursday at the General Society Library. That's where the New York City Junto monthly meetings are held on the first Thursday of every month. That's mm-hmm. at 20 West 44th Street between 5th and 6th Avenues near Grand Central Terminal. So tell our listeners, who do you have coming up this week? 
Well, probably our most controversial speaker, uh, mainly because uh, there are certain kinds of controversies we don't invite, but uh, this kind of controversy uh, is one that all libertarians uh, should confront. Uh, judge Andrew Napolitano, uh, he was a judge in the Superior Court of New Jersey, uh, no longer is on the bench, but uh, he uh, took over a show called Freedom Watch at Fox News and was summarily fired from that job when he issued a broadcast in which he inveighed against both the Republican and the Democratic parties and said that uh, one was no better than the other. They're about equally evil. And uh, for this, uh, Napolitano on uh, Fox News lost his show, Freedom Watch, uh, although uh, the Fox uh, network still retains him as a troublemaker to appear and comment on issues of the day. Uh, now, uh, I say that uh, about Napolitano's background because when Napolitano then reviews a book for Barron's, as he did uh, last week, and I'm the book review editor, so I commissioned it, he reviewed a book by a rock-ribbed left-winger uh, named Jeremy Scahill, who uh, writes for The Nation magazine, a, uh, a left-wing magazine that goes back about a century. So here, uh, along the, uh, the, the rather superficial spectrum of left, center, and right, uh, the two extremes meet. You know, left meets right, although, of mm -hmm. course, those categories are completely misleading uh, because most libertarians, along with Ron Paul and Gary Johnson, are non-interventionists, we might say. They used to be called isolationists. Uh, they agree uh, with uh, the formulation uh, that was uh, put to, to President Bush once, was the war in Iraq a war of choice or a war of necessity? Uh, and uh, clearly it was a war of choice, not a war of necessity, and libertarians will grant, possibly grant, um, that uh, constitutional wars of necessity should be fought, but not, uh, not wars of choice. And uh, certainly uh, they will argue uh, that uh, the surveillance state and that the indiscriminate killing of American citizens in this particular case under the Obama administration is, is a crime. Uh, and, uh, and that there are other ways to fight terrorism. And that's basically the argument that uh, Judge Napolitano, Napolitano is going to make Thursday evening and mm -hmm. uh, the argument he makes by giving a ringing endorsement uh, to Jeremy Scahill's book. What's also interesting about Scahill is that he was interviewed in Reason magazine mm -hmm. um, last week and uh, he said uh, for Reason a magazine that had Romney won and uh, had he done this, uh, committed the same crimes uh, internationally that Obama has been committing, then certainly uh, the liberal left would be calling uh, for the president's impeachment. But they mm -hmm. are silent and supine uh, because uh, it's Obama and because he's got left-wing credentials uh, that, uh, that people uh, who hang out with Jeremy Scahill tend to like. So they have not been making much trouble for, uh, for, uh, for Obama in this regard, except libertarians are, and uh, that's commendable. Glenn Greenwald is another libertarian columnist, as whom you may have heard of, who's 
also uh, been on the ramparts about this issue. So we're going to have uh, Lapalatano talk about the various ways in which uh, the federal government has been shredding the Constitution. And I believe that a lot of people in the audience uh, who uh, have crossed over to the neoconservative side are going to be arguing uh, pretty vociferously with Judge Napolitano. So it should be a pretty lively evening. It should be a lively evening, and uh, Judge Napolitano, of course, is, is quite a libertarian. I, I think the book you're referring to is called Dirty Wars, for which Dirty there was Wars. also a movie that was made, and I think you indicated, Gene, you saw that movie. My wife, yeah, Teresa, and I went to see it. Uh, I think every American should see this movie because we, you, you'll realize that our Constitution is being destroyed by the kind of behavior. The idea that Americans can be killed without a trial is just its just beyond belief, and that transcends party lines for sure. You know, me mentioning how liberals would look the other way when Obama does things that, that uh, Romney would have been chastised for. I can remember, Gene, very much the same thing when Bush was in office and people on the right uh, were willing to look the other way, too. The Sean Hennedy's of this world and those guys were really quite willing to give Mr. Bush a pass for no matter what he did. So it's, well, it's be, sort of it's, say, it's unfortunate. Say, by the way, there is an interesting crossover. The Wall Street Journal editorial page has, by and large, uh, been uh, supporting Obama's uh, surveillance state and his drone, drone activity. Uh, I know that at least insofar as the surveillance is concerned, the New York Times editorial page has been commendably harshly critical. So mm-hmm. there's been some crossover there as well. And indeed, the Dirty Wars movie, I saw it uh, the day it opened, and uh, Jeremy Scahill and uh, his producer uh, spoke afterwards and spoke uh, to the producer uh, as well uh, after uh, they had finished, and in fact, it's going to come out in DVD on a, in a more extended version, and probably it's going to be even better in that version because it's going to be several hours of even more focus on different aspects of Obama's dirty wars. Well, it's very, very important. I mean, and, and I think one of the things that people forget, Gene, is that if we uh, if we start behaving in that way overseas, uh, then we are endangering ourselves here in our own liberties here in America. I'm afraid if uh, you know, it's it's not as if um, uh, as if you can carry on. Your empire can go and do whatever it wants to without causing some problems. I think as Ron Paul had always talked about blowback. The reason they came over here is because we're over there, and I, maybe that's an oversimplification, but certainly if if uh, as he points out if the Chinese uh, set warships out in the Gulf of Mexico and started running drones and bombings over America, we'd be mad as hell. And so if we do that to other countries, it's not not surprising Mm -hmm. that they would be striking back at us, uh, I suppose. So, you know, and and one of the points... And I think one of the points that Jeremy made in that in that film was, and I heard him on on Charlie Rose as well, uh, is that there is this blowback issue that what in fact we are sometimes killing a few uh, a few Islamists and 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 uh, and manufacturing another hundred new enemies for everyone that we kill. So that's uh, part of the issue. You know, uh, just shifting gears, we got a, a couple of minutes left here yet, Gene. Uh, in your economic beat column, uh, you wrote. Um, well, no, maybe maybe what we should ask, actually, mm-hmm. something else I'd like to ask you about. Mm-hmm. You also wrote, you had written uh, a book review, mm-hmm. uh, Ron Paul versus Paul Krugman. Uh, talk yeah. to us about that. Uh, maybe give our well, listeners a yeah, little rundown of what that by, was about. Uh, by actually a political journalist, self-taught in economics, who's a writer of rare skill named Jeremy Hammond. Uh, the book is uh, less than 100 pages long. It's called Ron Paul versus Paul Krugman, Austrian versus Keynesian Economics in the Financial Crisis. 
and it's a very witty, entertaining, and even uh, at times hilarious uh, uh, tracking of what Paul Krugman uh, had said about uh, the various bubbles starting from the late 90s uh, to, to pretty much to the present, uh, basically inspired by John Maynard Keynes. And as I point out in my review, um, he really was uh, loyal to Keynes because Keynes liked bubbles. He never met an interest rate he didn't think was too high, similar to, to Krugman. But Krugman uh, was writing about uh, this situation from month to month, from week to week, and constantly having to suppress what he had said before. In mm. 2002, he aggressively called for a housing bubble. He said it's what the economy needed, what the Federal Reserve needed. And then he tried to cover up the fact that he'd been calling for a housing bubble. Yeah. Uh, and uh, his twists and his turns and his incredible dishonesty are quite amusing. And then here, it's kind of a tour de force because it's a Nobel Prize winner against a mere politician, Ron mm -hmm. Paul. Uh, Ron Paul doesn't pretend to be a Nobel Prize winning economist. And yet this politician, uh, Jeremy Harriman shows, uh, at pretty much every turn was informing us pretty richly about what was going on, what was to come, and what we should do about it. So it's sort of the, uh, the libertarian politician against the Nobel Prize winner, and the libertarian politician wins hands down. So it, it's really an entertaining and informative book, uh, and it can tell you more about business cycles in general than most textbooks, and it, more about uh, the recent business cycle than most books at a much greater length. Uh, so I highly recommend it, and uh, again, it's an entertaining read. It's called, again, uh, Ron Paul versus Paul Krugman by Jeremy Hammond. And uh, for those of you who have a copy of Barron's, you can go and read Gene's uh, remarks there, as well as the <laughs> remarks of uh, of, um, of, uh, our, of our of our guest. Uh, mm -hmm. Um, uh, Napolitano with respect to the other book, Dirty Wars. And, uh, uh, Gene, uh, Economic Beat, we've got two minutes, my engineer tells me here. In the Economic Beat, you wrote, Who's at Work? And you noted that the Americans uh, in the workforce is continuing, the American workforce, that is, the number of people in the workforce is continuing to decline, now at a new 34-year low. And in a minute or so, tell us what, what's going on there. Why are we still continuing to see fewer people working in America? Well, some of it is, you know, we, we, we have to recognize that uh, slavery was abolished a long time ago and that uh, there's no uh, moral or ethical obligation for, for people to participate in the in the workforce, in the labor mm -hmm. force. And uh, the choice of many women is interesting. Uh, women's labor force participation increased decade by decade, but then by the late 1990s, in the middle of a boom, it tailed off and has been declining. Women may, to some degree, be rethinking uh, how much, how committed they want to be to careers. That's partly healthy. What's also happening to some degree is that people are getting older. Uh, baby boomers are getting past 65, 66. Some of them, many of them are retiring. The population is getting older. But uh, I credit Charles Murray, uh, the libertarian uh, critic of social welfare policy, uh, with an explanation for the most disconcerting part of this, that the participation rate, male participation rate of, of prime age males, 25 to 54, has been declining since the 19th. 1960s, and uh, it, it declined uh, considerably over the last 10 years as well. It used to be at a high of 97, 98%. It's now down to 87%. Uh, 
Uh, and uh, a lot of it has to do uh, with, uh, with, with, with a new kind of ethos among working age men that you don't have to work. You can file if you're poor. Uh, it's a, it pays uh, to go on disability. Uh, the responsibility toward earning uh, is declining. And I think uh, Charles Murray in, uh, in, in his book, Coming Apart, his previous book, Losing Ground, that was about welfare. Coming Apart is about the decline of the white working class. Uh, all of that is disconcerting, and it has a lot to do uh, with, uh, with the welfare state. So it's partly, uh, partly not so bad news. It's partly disconcerting news. Uh, it does not look as though the labor force participation rate at a 34-year low is going to uh, increase anytime soon. Well, thank you very much, Gene. We are out of time. I do want to remind our listeners, though, again, it's the New York City Junto meeting, and uh, guest Judge Napolitano will be the main guest. He'll be there, and that is going to be at the General Society Library, 20 West 44th Street, between 5th and 6th Avenues. That's near Grand Central Terminal. I look forward to seeing you, Gene, and, uh, of course, the judge. It, it should be a packed house, I would guess. I guess I actually wrote, to just this morning, I wrote Jeremy Scahill, who lives in Brooklyn, if he's in town, that he's invited to come and be a part of the Q&A. Uh, well, that would be fantastic. I hope he comes. Yeah. I, I really do. I'd like to meet him as well. Yes. Thank you, Gene, very, very much for being, for being with us. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Right. Bye-bye. Folks, don't go away. I'm going to be right back. Uh, John Perkins is going to be with us and also Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. We'll be right back with both of these gentlemen, so don't go away. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. SGX Resources is an exploration gold company with multiple advanced exploration projects in the Timmins Gold Camp. Recent high-grade intersections at SGX's Tully Deposit include 14 meters at 20.1 grams per ton and 17.6 meters at 11.1 grams per ton. The deposit is currently more than 600 meters along strike with a depth of up to 250 meters and remains open in all directions. SGX Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange with the trading symbol SXR. Visit our website at www.sgxresources.com. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the third or fourth time now, John Perkins. And uh, John, also with me, is uh, Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Well, I first learned of John Perkins um, uh, three or four years ago when I read his book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. He's written several other books that are well worth reading as well. But the Confessions of an Economic Hitman... Uh, laid out how the United States empire has conducted its foreign policy in a post-World War II era. And I think uh, that it goes a long ways in explaining why the United States is perpetually at war with countries that would seem, at least to me, uh, to pose absolutely no threat to our security here within within the United States. But John wrote his book um, uh, from, from his firsthand experience, really, as an economic hitman. John is currently an activist for peace, which is one of the reasons that I wanted to have Daniel McAdams, uh, who heads up the Ron Paul's Institute for Peace and Prosperity, join me for this discussion. It's most interesting to note that uh, John was recruited by the United States government organization that is very much in the news these days, thanks to the courage of Edward Snowden, uh, Glenn Greenwald, and others. I'm talking about NSA. Uh, which recruited John in 1968 when he was in his last year at Boston University School of Business Administration. And John spent uh, the next three years in the Peace Corps in uh, South America and in 1971 joined the international consulting firm of Chaz T. Maine, that's a Boston-based company. As chief economist and director of economics and regional planning, uh, Mr. Perkins' primary job was to convince third world countries to accept expensive loans for infrastructure projects. Uh, he left uh, Chas, Maine in 1981. He founded and became CEO of Independent Power Systems, uh, pioneering technologies that prompted the use of waste power plant heat in hydroponic greenhouses and other uh, cogeneration applications. And then in 1990, he sold that company and founded Dream Change Coalition and the Pacmana Alliance. And he is uh, the author, as I mentioned, of several books, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Hoodwinked is another one that I have in my library uh, and several others. Welcome, John. It's really good to have you back again. Thanks. It's great to be with you, Jay, and you too, Daniel. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that the two of you could meet because I, I do believe that there is some synergy between what Ron Paul's Institute of Peace and Prosperity is doing and, uh, and what you are doing as well, John. And I want to thank you for your efforts. I do. I am on your mailing list, and I, uh, I, I do keep up with what you're doing on a, on a fairly regular basis. You know, John, uh, in Confessions of an Economic Hitman, you talked about your job uh, there, and that was to try to convince foreign dictators to take expensive loans to build major infrastructure projects. And the goal was to get foreign governments so much into debt that they would have to sell their raw materials to U.S. corporations for very low prices uh, for purposes, of course, of U.S. corporate profits. And you pointed out that if the United States government was unable to get the foreign leaders to agree to build those projects, that the government would then send in their jackals to arrange an accident or to try to get rid of that ruler and set up the next one who would, I suppose, uh, be agreeable to those arrangements. And But if that failed, you mentioned that in certain cases we might then send in our military, as I think you suggested in a former program, that that you think is what, what happened in Iraq. Now, once again, here we are. 
we're getting ready for war. I just watched Peter King on television here in front of me a few minutes ago telling us why it was absolutely in our best interest to get into a war in Syria. Do you think some of the same the same dynamics are in place still, and that's why we would be getting into Syria, as you talked about in Confessions of an Economic Hitman? Uh, uh, there's no doubt about it, Jay. Uh, you know, it's we we are very much what I call the, based on a, a death economy, an economy that's that's truly based in in killing people to a large degree. It's something like 21 percent of our official budget goes to the military, and it's much larger than that if you get unofficial. Uh, we're also, you know, based on ripping up and pillaging the earth, basically killing our own resources. Mm-hmm. And and I think at this time we really need to move into a peace economy, what I'd call a live a life economy, an economy that's based on cleaning up pollution and helping starving people learn mm-hmm. how to feed themselves, etc. But yeah, I have I have no doubt that that Syria is just another one of these movements in this direction to create, you know, more turmoil. And we don't have to actually have an, a full-blown war in order for the war machine to make its billions. As long as there's a threat of war, as long as we're moving toward war, uh, there's a tremendous amount of money spent uh, on what Eisenhower referred to as the military-industrial complex. And I think today it's more appropriate to call it the corporatocracy because it certainly involves mm-hmm. Wall Street on a big, big level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wall Street and the military-industrial complex, it's all part of the same game, it would seem to me. But um, the... Uh you know, the British Parliament voted against going into Syria now, and uh, it seems to me as if we're lining everything up to try to go anyway. Uh, I would imagine that there's going to be a great deal of propaganda and arm twisting uh, on uh, on Capitol Hill to get the Congress to agree to it. Uh, but, you know, uh, John and Daniel both, I was struck by a remark that Jimmy Carter made, former President Jimmy Carter made, wasn't picked up by our news media, but Der Spiegel quoted him as saying, the U.S. does not currently have a functioning democracy. Now, I think that's quite a statement for a former president of the United States to make, and I think it's also uh, something that the U.S., uh, uh, that, that, it ha- that that remark has not been uh, brought to light by, by our own media. I think that, that tells us something there, but... Um, John, what, what would be your response to that? Jimmy Carter would say something like that. Well, I think there's no question. In the last four decades, actually since Carter's presidency, once, uh, since the time of Reagan, we've been moving down a very dangerous par- path toward oligarchy. Uh, oligarchy, you know, is, is defined as a few elites run the country, and that's, that's mm-hmm. what I call the corporatocracy. And they have tremendous influence over the president. We've been headed down that path for four decades. I do think it's significant that Obama now has decided, unlike his predecessors, uh, not to go to war uh, without approval from Congress ahead of time. I think that's a very, very significant and a bold move on his part. However, like you said, there's going to be tremendous pressure on these Congress people by the oligarchy, by those who control the, the moneyed interests of this country, uh, to vote for war. So there's, there's a couple of forces at play here, but I, I have to applaud Obama for taking this to Congress. It was a smart move politically. There's no question about it. But I also think it was, it was a, re, a reversal of this constant move toward a, a, a oligarchy, where past presidents, especially the, the Bushes and the Reagans, uh, just unilaterally went in without approval from Congress and, and sent troops to other nations. 
Yeah, I, of course, uh, we, one wonders how, you know, what kind of information will be given to the Congress. We can remember Colin Powell being lied to and, and mm-hmm. presenting information that was not truthful to the United Nations in an effort to get, uh, to get approval to go to war. Uh, Daniel, you've written a piece uh, at the Ron Paul Institute about where did Kerry get his information. Would you possibly share that with, with John and with our listening audience? Sure, Jay. If I could just back up a half a second, though, it's interesting, uh, this notion of democracy. The, the funny thing about Obama coming to Congress, basically Congress has been sitting on the sidelines, uh, you know, like a teenage girl at a, at a dance, uh, sort of winking and saying, you know, if you ask me to dance, I, I'll probably say yes. Um, we saw this morning Speaker Boehner uh, enthusiastically got behind uh, the president's move to war on Syria, and what's interesting is he used an exact variation of something that Condoleezza Rice uh, said in the run-up to the war with Iraq. He said, no one wants to be asking why we failed to act if the next time sarin gas is used, it's in a Paris or New York subway. I mean, that's an exact rewriting mm-hmm. of the mushroom cloud argument. Yeah. So they're not even trying to, uh, to alter the pop propaganda at all. Uh, so I think Congress is an absolute willing participant in this. They're so thrilled that the president has condescended to ask for their approval, and with a very few exceptions, they are going to fall all over this uh, authorization. And as a matter of fact, they'll probably give the president more than he even wanted. So sorry. Okay, but then, okay. <laughs> Okay, but Daniel, the, uh, but they're going to have to have some good reason to go in because there will be discussion in the public about it, and we will be told that this awful guy that, that, that heads up Syria uh, needs to be taken out. I mean, he needs to be punished, right? So what is the information? And what I was getting at, you wrote an article the other day uh, asking about where did Kerry get uh, his smoking gun information? Yeah, it was, it, it's interesting because... You know, they have not shown anyone any intelligence at all. They've said, we know we have a high degree of, we have a high degree of, uh, of confidence in this information, but no one says where the information came from. There was an interesting article, and this is what you were talking about, Jay, that mm-hmm. was uh, written by former U.K. Ambassador Craig Murray, who has some, uh, who still retains some insights and some contacts in the intelligence community. And... Uh, he claims that the U.K. listening post uh, in Cyprus, which is the main listening post for the region, did not pick up this conversation that was supposedly the smoking gun, these two Syrian government officials discussing the, um, the bombing, uh, the, the gas bombing, uh, and that was indeed handed to the U.S. from a third-party source with some speculation as to who that might be. So it's quite interesting if you want to think about what is the origin of this smoking gun conversation. Uh, it's, uh, it's a good question, and no one's asking it. Yeah. As he, I mean, we found out later that, that Colin Powell was lied to to go into Iraq. But, John, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I'm, uh, I'm happy also that Obama is putting it back to Congress. But it does get to the fact of, you know, will the American people be told the truth, or will there be another whitewashing, right? Well, absolutely, and 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 hopefully, you know, this time around we're a little smarter. Uh, I'm I'm not sure that that's what's going to happen, but uh, it certainly did happen in England, and I think that's a that's a great precedent that the English Parliament stood up to the Prime Minister 
and we're, we're going to see what happens here. I think this will be an extremely telling time about our country and the system that we have. It, the president has made a move uh, that, unlike his predecessors for the last four decades, basically, uh, to turn things over to the elected officials of we the people. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. I'm hoping that we the people will rally enough in programs like this and so forth and make a huge effort to let our representatives know that we don't want war. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll still vote with us. They, they still may vote with Wall Street, you know, the people who finance yeah. their campaigns. If yeah. that's true, that will tell us a great deal, uh, confirm what a lot of us have suspected for a long time. But if it's not true, if they should go with the American people, that would be a huge breakthrough. And obviously, that's what I'm hoping for. I, I don't have, I don't, you know, I don't have real strong <laughs> expectations that it's going to go that way. But I'm hoping for it, and I'm going to push hard for it. We can hope for it, John, and the, and the kind of good work that you do. And I'm thinking of Russ Baker, uh, who, who is an independent journalist, uh, uh, ex-professor uh, at uh, Columbia, uh, who does excellent work in, in investigative reporting. Uh, I know that, that you are focused very much on positive things, how we can help each other and how we can uh, be better citizens of the earth. I, I applaud all of that. I think it's all very, very important. Uh, and I do think, though, that there is some reason to be somewhat uh, optimistic about things because I think people are becoming, in America, more skeptical of their government. I think, the uh, uh, Daniel, you might know something about this, but the number of people that are in favor of going into Syria, I think it's a, it's a very low percentage at this point. In the low 20s. So what we have to do is there has to be a manufactured problem of some kind, or there really is a problem. I mean, I'm not dismissing the the fact that there's some pretty nasty people around the world, uh, but, you know, maybe those nasty people aren't necessarily all from other governments. Maybe maybe we uh, are doing some nasty things, too. So uh, speaking of nasty things, uh, certainly uh, John Edward Snowden's, uh, revelations have been a part of what is waking the par- the American public up. Wouldn't you think so, John? Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the man is taking extremely bold action and and extremely important. It's had a huge impact on us already. There's no question about it. Um, the guy should, you know, I, I you know, win the Nobel Peace Prize. You know, people have suggested that, but the fact of the matter is. Uh, it's, 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 it's immense what Snowden has done. And now we just have to see whether the American people will rally. Uh, I, I, we need to push as hard as we can uh, for that to happen. This is definitely a watershed moment in American history. I think it's an extremely important time that we're going through right now. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And, and with respect to the uh, NSA secrets and spying and so forth, it seems to me the biggest threat and the reason why American people should care. Because, you know, John, most Americans say, well, I don't violate the law. I'm not doing anything criminal. I don't have to worry. That's sort of the logic that most people engage in when they hear about things like this. Well, let the, let the government get the bad guys. I'm not a bad guy. I don't have to worry. Uh, but, you know, in, in your confessions of an economic hitman, I know that you talked about how when people were recruited uh, to, to, you know, to do this sort of spying or um, activity that was required, uh, they really wanted to try to find people that had some skeletons in their closets so that, I guess, so they could be controlled. Is that the idea? Well, skeletons in their closets and also weaknesses. Uh, uh-huh. You know, the, 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 
doing this kind of a job would appear to would appeal to them anger, deep anger about about different things, including in my case my parents and so forth. Wanted mm-hmm. to get even with them, wanted to go out and live this good life and travel around the world and sure. hobnob with presidents and so forth. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. so many so many ways to con us, to seduce us into doing the wrong thing. And in a way, you can say this whole thing with Syria is is a huge. Uh, example of that, of, of how the sides will try to con us into believing that we should go to war. I, I would like to mention, Jay, too, that's interesting to me. I, I was recently interviewed by a couple of different TV crews from uh, Russia, Russian t- mm-hmm. Russia TV. They came over from Moscow, and they said that there's a very strong belief in, in Russia that the reason we want to go to war with Syria is to get at Iran. Syria is basically pr- protecting Iran. And the mm-hmm. reason we want to go to Iran is because ultimately we want to go to we, 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 we want to we want to go to Russia, or at least we want to nullify the growing power of Putin in the world. Now uh-huh. that sounds terribly paranoid on the part of Russians, and I pointed this out to these Russian TV people, and they said, "But look at the Cold War for for years. Russia and the United States both said this about each other, the Soviet Union and the United States, uh, and there's no more Soviet Union. So you people in the United States aren't really too worried about Russia." But we're still very worried about you in Russia because you've, in fact, mm-hmm. become the sole superpower in the world. And so there is this, this, there is this sense in the world of something that most of us in the United States never even hear about, that Syria is, is a subterfuge, really, or a holding action, a guarding action. We want to break through that barrier so that we can go elsewhere. Whether it's true or not, I have no idea. But I do know that there's a lot of people in the world that believe that, and I think we need to be aware of that. Well, I'm. It, it doesn't seem so far-fetched to me, John. In some ways, because um, look at. I mean, where does the where does this gigantic corporatocracy end? I mean, it seems to almost like parasitically be feeding on gobbling up other countries. Uh, you have to keep the war machine. Lots of money made. Billions are made, as you point out, by keeping these sort of small-scale wars continuing to go. But in the process, what do we do with each of these countries? We go in and we try to change the regimes, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that what? Isn't that what we're? I don't know that Obama is trying to do that, or at least on the surface, not talking about it so much. But it certainly was something that uh, that George W. Bush was doing was was to try. And so, if you're sitting in in Russia, you could kind of understand this. And it seems to me, and Daniel, maybe you could come in on this, but it seems to me that Russia is drawing a line in the sand with Syria to a great extent. Are they not? I I think they're sitting on the sidelines, probably fairly perplexed that the U.S. is about to do something so blatantly illegal when it comes to international law under the guise of enforcing international legality. Um, uh, and I think they're, they're pretty perplexed. They don't understand why we're doing such a stupid thing. I don't know that they're drawing a line in the sand. I don't, I don't think that is um, uh, Putin's style of... Uh, he does not have a confrontational style. So I think mm-hmm. for Putin, I think it's much more chess than checkers. Mm-hmm. Well, this whole notion of, of uh, NSA spying on, on American citizens and so forth, and we're going to be talking to Ellen Brown next hour, uh, and she's going to be talking a little bit about Elliot Spitzer and what took place uh, there uh, before, uh, of about a month before his uh, indiscretions were, uh, were, uh, were put to the public view. Uh, leaked out to the public, uh, he had written a, an article in the Washington Post uh, really condemning a lot of the uh, illegal predatory lending practices by the banking system. And there are those that think that 
uh, Mr. Spitzer may have been uh, may have been exposed exactly because he was standing up to that uh, that kind of uh, illegal behavior on the part of the banking system. John, would it make any sense to you? I mean, uh, uh, if if the if the NSA or powerful people have this kind of information on on all of us, then they could use it, could they not, to keep people in line politically? It's extremely chilling, and yes, of course they could. And I think one of the things that we all need to be concerned about with, with the, the revelations of Snowden is that what does this mean for the 16- or 17-year-old kid who is sending various emails and texts and so on and so forth out at, at, at an early age or during his adolescence uh, when he decides to run, or she decides to run for senator or president yeah. 20, 20 or 30 years from now? Mm-hmm. Who's going to go back into those files and find that this kid was writing something that, it, 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 you know, 30 years from now will, will seem like it was totally inappropriate for, for him to have written, even though he was only 16 or she was only 16 years old? I, I think the implications of collecting all this information and how that will affect not just the present time, but future generations of politicians and, and potential leaders in our society is extremely chilling, yes. Yeah. Um what about uh, what about Egypt, uh, John? How, how do you think that's going to shake out? I remember talking to you the last time, and it was after the Arab Spring, and you were somewhat optimistic about how this could bring about a lot of good things. And, and Egypt goes off, and they have a democracy, and it wasn't what Hillary Clinton called our kind of democracy. So we stood aside and left the military destroy uh, the the will of the people, essentially. What, what do you, how do you see the, the future of these North African countries? Dismal. You know, we, we not only stood aside, we supported the military regime. We supported that regime for a long, the military in Egypt for a long time. And even though our constitution, our, our, our legal system, not just our constitution, our laws today t- say that if a, if a, if a military overthrows a democratically elected leader, we will no longer give them aid and support. We continue to do so. I think there's no question about it. We, we we wanted to get the Muslim Brotherhood out of there. We wanted to emasculate the Muslim Brotherhood. We were we were happy to see the military overthrow uh, Morsi, and we were certainly a, a party to that. And and I think it's terrible. I, I think it, it, all of these things, though, Jay, just reflect that we must change our consciousness in this country. We've got to move out of this mentality of being a policeman to the world, which actually mm-hmm. means being an exploiter of the world, mm-hmm. a dictator to the world, and, and, and move into a mentality that says what we really need to do is, is to start developing a real uh, life economy to really get our industries into a snuff of cleaning up pollution and feeding starving people and creating new forms of transportation and energy. There's a whole economy mm-hmm. out there waiting to happen. We've got to get out of this whole mentality. Yeah, I know that's true, John, and I know that that's what you are really working very hard to tr- to do whatever you can to bring that about. We are out of time now, but tell our listeners what your websites are so people can follow what you're doing and, and get involved. Well, I'm johnperkins.org, and uh, I send out a newsletter once a month, and one's going to go out later today. Uh, I'd love to have people sign up. You actually have to sign up at the website. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. So people can follow what you're doing, and I know you have different programs at different places, some very interesting places. I noticed something coming up in Costa Rica that looked awfully interesting to me. So uh, anyway, very, very good. Thank you, John, for being with us. Thank you, Daniel, for being with us as well. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Ellen Brown, and she's going to talk about what Elliot Spitzer uh, is trying to do. Actually, I've recently read his book, Protecting Capitalism, Case by Case, and I think Mr. Spitzer makes a lot of very, very good points in his book. So we're going to talk to Elliot 
Uh, we're going to talk to uh, to Ellen Brown. Don't go away. We'll be right back. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property, a large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Some things never go out of style. In the gold business for over 100 years, high-grade Canadian gold discoveries have been in vogue amongst investors. Balmoral Resources has continued to deliver high-grade results from a series of new discoveries in Quebec. If you're looking to upgrade your portfolio in the fall with some golden highlights, learn more about Balmoral at balmoralresources.com. Balmoral trades on the OTCQX under the symbol BALMF and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol BAR. 